My name is Dave Farley. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF. Welcome this morning. We're taking a little break from our Gospel of John series, and we're going to go back to a text that we looked at several years ago in our Ephesians series. Now, why are we taking a break this week? Because I had a very, very busy week this week, (laughs) moving our offices up north, preparing for a couple elders' retreats. Uh, And I love this passage. This is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. Um, it's very simple, it's very important, it's very basic, and it's, it's important for all Christians uh, to be well-versed uh, in the concepts in, in this particular section of Scripture. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray once again and ask for God's blessing uh, on the preaching of his word. Father, we thank you so much for giving us these sacred words. And Lord, we confess that we uh, will not change, we will not understand unless you uh, send your spirit. So we pray that you would send your spirit now to help us not only understand, but apply uh, the truths of this passage. Lord, this passage is very familiar to many of us, uh, and we do not want uh, to be bored by these amazing truths. We pray that you would once again uh, light a fire in our souls as we think about the incredibly good news contained in these verses. Work by your Spirit's power for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1.8 billion Muslims worldwide believe that they will be saved if and only if they faithfully obey the five pillars of Islam. 1.2 billion Hindus believe they'll be saved if and only if they can escape the vicious cycle of reincarnation by earning enough good karma. 506 million Buddhists believe that they will be saved, i.e. experience nirvana, if and only if they understand the four noble truths and follow faithfully the eightfold path. 17 million Jews worldwide believe that they will be saved if and only if They faithfully obey the laws of Moses. Now, what do all these religions have in common? One thing, hard work. If you work hard enough, if you perform enough, then you will experience their version of salvation. Now, that makes Christianity utterly unique uh, in world religions, It's the only religion in the world, in the history of the world, that teaches that we are saved entirely by grace, that is, uh, by the work of another. And that brings us to this beautiful passage, um, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that many of you probably have memorized. Uh, And this passage has one simple message. And here's the message. We are saved by grace, through faith, for good works. I'll say it again. We are saved by grace, through faith, for good works. Well, Dave, I understand that. I'm a Christian. I've been here a while. But do those truths still amaze you and astonish you? Have those truths permeated every single square inch of your life? If not, then I recommend that we think about these verses again. So again, we are saved by grace, through faith, For good works. Let's look at each phrase in detail. First, we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, what is grace? Many people define grace uh, with 
the acronym God's Riches at Christ's Expense, kind of like the acronym SCUBA, which stands for Self-Contained Underwater Breathing Apparatus. So grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Is that a good definition? Kind of, kind of. It it, it gets at this idea of, of grace being free, but it really doesn't capture the essence of what's happening in the context of Ephesians 2. Grace, more accurately, is God's favor given freely to those who deserve judgment. And that's very, very clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, where the Apostle Paul describes what we were like before conversion. Imagine walking down the sidewalk in downtown Spokane. As you're walking, you see a homeless person. And he says to you, hey man, can you spare five bucks? You are feeling especially magnanimous, and so you don't give him five dollars, you give him ten dollars. You give him a free gift. Is that grace? Biblical grace, Ephesians 2 grace. Again, kind of. Here's a much more accurate picture of grace. That same homeless person who you saw on the street yesterday shows up at your house tonight when you're gone. They break into your house, violate your wife. They steal all your possessions. They burn your house down and they drive off in your brand new Tesla. The next day, they're caught red-handed. They appear before a judge and a jury. It's obvious that they're guilty of horrible crimes. But then you show up and you say, you know what? I'm not going to press charges. Now, is that grace? No, that's mercy. That's mercy. What's grace? Grace is you saying to that same person, I'm not going to press charges and I'm going to liquidate all my assets, all my bank accounts, and give you freely everything that I own. That's grace. That's grace. The homeless person does not deserve that free gift. And furthermore, the homeless person has sinned against you. Grace is God freely giving us sinners, rebels who have broken his laws. He freely gives us countless blessings that will last for all eternity. So what is grace? God's favor freely given to those who deserve punishment. That's grace. Well, what does grace do? Next question, what does grace do? Grace saves freely. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. But saved from what? What are we saved from? God has saved us from all the things he described in Ephesians 2.1-3. Look at those verses with me for a moment. Ephesians 2.1-3, Paul writes, And you, that is all of us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, all of us, every one of us at one point, were dead in our sins, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Paul is saying that all of us 
before conversion were dead in our sins and we were children of wrath, objects of God's wrath. If you don't understand this, if you don't embrace this, grace will never, ever be amazing to you. You will never be astonished and amazed and overwhelmed by God's grace unless you understand who you were, who I was before God lavished us freely with kindness and salvation. So we have been saved from these things, the world, the flesh, the devil, and most importantly, saved from God's wrath through Jesus Christ. And all this comes to us freely. That's the point of grace. Salvation freely given, for by grace you have been saved. Salvation is all of grace. It's a gift that cannot be earned. Imagine this afternoon going to your child's birthday party. Let's say your child is 15 years old. He invites all of his friends to, his, to your house for a party. His friends are generous. His friends show up with all kinds of amazing gifts. They give your son a brand new gaming system. They give your son a brand new bike. They give your son a brand new set of weights. They give your son a brand new set of golf clubs. When the party's over, your son says, okay, how much do I owe everybody? How much for the golf clubs? Here's $500 for the golf clubs. How much was the gaming system? Here's $500 for the gaming system. Would anyone do that? Would anyone do that? No, no, why? They're gifts. They're gifts. They can't be earned. They can't be earned. They're freely given. God gives us salvation free of charge. There is nothing we can do to earn it. And again, this makes Christianity unique among every world religion. Salvation is by grace. But how do you and I receive this free gift? That brings us to the next key phrase. Again, we are saved by grace, first phrase, through faith, second phrase, for good works, third phrase. We're on that second phrase. We are saved by grace through faith. Let me ask a few questions about faith. What is faith? We've discussed this often in the John series. What is faith? Again, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Our culture has many misconceptions about faith. Faith is often thought of as merely optimism. Or faith is thought of as something that we do when we run out of evidence. Or faith is mere intellectual assent to a body of truth. None of those definitions are biblical faith. So what is faith? As I said, I think last week, faith has three ingredients, knowledge, agreement, or assent, and trust. And all three of those things must be in place for faith to be real faith. When I was 14, I went to a church camp called Adullam, and it comes from the cave where David hid with all of his mighty men uh, in the Old Testament. It, it was... Uh, <laughs> It was kind of like a military boot camp for junior high kids. I know, it was weird. <laughs> I hated it, but I had to go because I was a church kid. My dad was an elder. So we went to this camp um, a couple times, uh, and every morning we woke up and we, we did PT at 5 o'clock in the morning. We actually ran and like sang chants. Again, it was weird. Uh, but one of the days, uh, that morning, we, we got up, did PT, uh, and then we spent an hour or two learning all about repelling. 
Because that afternoon, we were going to go rappel off a 200-foot cliff. So uh, they spent several hours instructing us in all the details of rappelling, how the harnesses work, how the rope works, the proper technique for belaying and walking off the cliff backwards. So I learned all about rappelling that morning. I had all the knowledge that if I did certain things, I would survive and not die walking off that cliff. So as we walked towards the cliff, it was like a two or three hour hike to get to this cliff, all of us were terrified. Uh, rightfully so, because we were junior high kids and we were about to walk off a cliff backwards. So I had all the facts that if I did certain things, I wouldn't die. And I agreed those facts were true. But until I actually walked up the side of that cliff, strapped on the harness, and then walked backwards over that cliff, it wasn't really saving faith. It wasn't true faith. I knew the facts, but I had to personally trust that harness, trust that rope, trust the belayer below me, and walk backwards over that cliff. And I remember walking backwards and seeing below me this teeny tiny person 200 feet down. That's saving faith. You personally step out in faith, trusting Jesus alone to save you. And kids, you were not saved by your parents' faith or your spouse's faith if you're married. Every person has to personally trust in Jesus. That's faith. Faith is not a blind leap. I repelled because I believed that the evidence was true and that I would survive. And the question is, is this the type of faith that you possess? So what is faith? First question. Next question. How does faith save? Faith is the instrumental cause of salvation. What do I mean? Look with me at Ephesians 2.8. Notice what Paul says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul does not say that we are saved by faith. No. We are saved through faith. And there is a world of difference. Incredibly important distinction. Imagine that you are on your deathbed at Sacred Heart Hospital. You have a, an incredibly rare disease. It's an awful disease. Your body's wasting away. But at the last minute, someone realizes there's a miracle drug out there. And the nurse brings the drug into the hospital room. You're lying there on your deathbed. And the nurse says, all you have to do is drink this medicine and you'll survive. So the nurse puts the medicine on a spoon and brings the spoon to your mouth and puts the spoon in your mouth, and you swallow the medicine, and you live. Here's the question. Are you saved by the medicine or by the spoon? You're saved by the medicine. The spoon has no power to save you whatsoever. You're saved by the medicine. In a similar sense, are we saved by faith or through faith? We are saved through faith. It's Christ that saves. Faith is merely the instrument that brings Christ to us. Why does this matter? <laughs> this really matters. If we were saved by our faith, faith becomes a work. And here's the problem. All of us, including your pastor, have days when my faith is really weak. So am I less saved on those days? In the days when my faith is strong, I sure hope not. 
I'm saved by, by Christ through faith. I love how Tim Keller illustrates this. He talks about uh, the story of uh, Moses parting the Red Sea. Remember that story from the Old Testament in the book of Exodus? So Moses supernaturally parts the Red Sea, uh, and the Egyptians are behind the Israelites, and the Israelites have to walk through uh, this water that's been parted. They walk on dry ground through this, the parted water. And it, was, it, it must have been a, a supernatural sight for those Israelites to see the dry ground and the huge walls of water on the right and the left as they walked probably at least a mile through the Red Sea. And as that happened, there were probably two, two types of people walking through the parted Red Sea. Someone probably said, let's say his name was Isaac, this is amazing. God is part of this water. He's going to save us. Let's run through. His faith was strong. Someone else, let's say his name is Jacob, walks through and the whole time he's terrified. We're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. There's huge walls of water on my right and my left. What are we gonna do? We're gonna die. But he's still walking through, isn't he? Both guys are gonna be saved because they're both walking through. One has strong faith, one has weak faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the instrument that brings Christ to us. And I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly encouraging. Because my faith is weak, more often than I admit. I'm not saved based on the quality of my faith. I'm saved by Christ. But that faith is crucial. It brings Christ to us, but it's Christ that saves, not the quality of my faith. What is faith? How does faith save? Next question, where does faith come from? The answer is God. Again, look with me at Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, to understand this verse better, we need to understand a little bit of Greek grammar. Uh, one scholar says this, Greek pronouns agree in gender with the nouns in which they refer. However, the pronoun this and in, this not from yourselves, is neuter. While the nouns faith and grace are both feminine in gender. As a result... Most scholars agree that the word this refers to both faith and grace. Both those things are a gift. Faith is a gift from God. And doesn't this make sense in light of Ephesians 2, 1 to 3? Because in 2, 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul very clearly says that before conversion, all of us were dead in our sins. Can a dead person believe anything? No, they're spiritually dead. So Paul is saying that God gives us the gift of faith. He regenerates us. He gives us the gift of faith, and then we exercise it. We believe. And this means that you are not a Christian, or I'm not a Christian, because I am smarter or wiser or more spiritually attuned or more mature than the person next to me. This destroys all self-righteousness. It destroys all boasting. The only reason you're a Christian is because God is gracious. He's gracious. 
which means we have nothing to boast in. We sang about that this morning, that we, we, we don't boast in our wisdom or our gifts or our abilities. Paul wants us to remember that we are saved by grace through faith, and that faith uh, is a gift from God. So what is faith? How does faith save? Where does faith come from? Next question, how does faith relate to works? Well, they're opposites. They're exact opposites. They're polar opposites. Look with me again at the text. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. Paul could have easily stopped at the end of verse 8. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, period. But he doesn't stop there. He wrote, not a result of works that no one may boast. Why did Paul keep writing? Because he knows that we are tempted to often combine faith and works, which leads to boasting. Paul wants us to remember that we are not saved by faith plus. Faith plus attending church. Faith plus reading your Bibles. Faith plus your prayer life. Faith plus avoiding all those bad things that those non-Christians do. No. He is saying we are saved through faith plus nothing. Now, who resists this teaching the most? The biker? The guy in the Hell's Angels group? The prostitute? The wolf on Wall Street? No. Who resists this the most? The churchgoer, the Christian, the pastor. Why? Because compared to the world, we're somewhat righteous. We think we're pretty righteous. So we have constant temptation to boast and think, I'm actually a pretty good person compared to the person I work with or my neighbor or the guy I see at the club. We think that non-Christians need the gospel, not church people. But the Apostle Paul makes it very, very clear that Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians do. Christians must come to grips with the fact that we have no righteousness whatsoever apart from the grace of God. And that righteousness comes to us from Christ. Theologians say it's an alien righteousness. It's outside of us. It was earned by Jesus and credited to us by grace through faith. That's the only righteousness we have. And it comes from Jesus. And he earned it by living a perfect life in our place. That's where it comes from. And we know this, we understand this, but we still think we can contribute something. It was a normal day in San Francisco until one car spun out of control on the San Francisco Bay Bridge. 
causing a massive chain reaction. Cars were flying everywhere. Cars were flying across the bridge. And one car got hit so hard that it flew all the way across several lanes of traffic and, and flew through the barriers and almost went off the edge of the bridge, which was several hundred feet. But the last second, a, uh, some cabling from the bridge caught one of the wheel wells and kept the car from plummeting 200 feet to the water below. The driver would have died for sure. And of course, this stopped traffic for hours. And to rescue this lady, several assets were brought to bear on the situation. The police, the fire department, the transportation authorities. Uh, search and rescue people were repelling off the side of the bridge. I should help them out. I mean, I'm kind of a pro in repelling. <laughs> there were rescue boats in the water. There were helicopters flying above. Even the military brought assets to bear on the situation. It was a massive coordination of several agencies, all doing their thing to rescue one lady. After several hours of hard and dangerous work, they finally pulled the woman out of her car and put her in a stretcher. At that point, the rescue workers heard her saying, Leave me alone! Leave me alone! I could have rescued myself. That's a lot of us, isn't it? God, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I could have rescued myself. I mean, I need a little bit of help, maybe if you answer prayers every once in a while, but I'm really a pretty good person. I mean, I go to church, I pray, I shovel my neighbor's sidewalk, Leave me alone, God. I can rescue myself. Right? Martin Luther, the famous reformer, says this. I myself have been preaching and cultivating the message of grace for almost 20 years. And still I feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal with God so that I may contribute something, so that he will have to give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. And still, I cannot get it into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace. Yet I know that is what I should and must do. We're all like Luther, aren't we? constantly trying to remind ourselves it's all of grace we can't save ourselves not even a little bit i think a lot of americans go to church on sundays to save themselves they think if i just work a little harder go to church a little more be a little nicer to my neighbor then I'll be okay. Not realizing that our righteousness comes entirely from Christ and it's given to you free of charge. The gospel is the good news that Jesus did it all. Well, why is it so hard for us, for me, for you to remember this? Because most of life works like this. If you work really hard, good things happen. If you work really hard at school, you get good grades. 
If you work out a lot, you become a better athlete. If you work really hard at your job, you may get promoted. If you work really hard on your marriage, your marriage gets better. So we assume if I work really hard at godliness, then God's going to save me, love me more. I'll be more acceptable in his sight. And when we think this way, it is incredibly offensive to Jesus. It's not just detrimental to us. It is saying things about Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, what you did in your life and your death and your resurrection wasn't enough. Let me help you. How incredibly proud of us to think that what the Son of God did, the one who made all things, the one who was all powerful, was not enough. So God, let me, let me help you a little bit. Christians must repent of their bad deeds and their good deeds. That is, their good deeds done to earn God's favor. And the Apostle Paul destroys that awful mentality with the words of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. Well, Dave, if we are saved by grace through faith, then why not keep sinning? Why live righteously? If it's all of grace then what's the point of trying to live righteously? Well, that brings us to the last key phrase. We are saved by grace, through faith, for good works. The last phrase, for good works. That's why God saved us, for good works. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's look at this verse, phrase by phrase. First, Paul says that we are his workmanship. Now, that word workmanship uh, is the word poem, poemo, which someone to translate as poem, as in we are God's poem. This is not broad enough. The same word was used to describe all kinds of art. Therefore, many scholars argue that the best way to translate this is that we are God's work of art or God's masterpiece, which is astonishing. Think of all the things that God has created. Beautiful mountain ranges, sunsets, galaxies, roses, hummingbirds, peaches, strawberries. All those things are beautiful and wonderful. But only Christians, human beings, are called God's work of art. Now, before you get too arrogant and think, yes, I am God's work of art, let me ask you a question. When people see the statue of David, I think it's in Florence, in Florence, no one thinks, wow, David was an amazing person. What do they think? Michelangelo was an incredible artist. So yes, you're made in God's image, you have dignity and worth and value, but you're God's masterpiece because God is working in and through you to produce good works. That's why you're alive, that's why he saved you to receive glory in and through you as you produce good works, putting his fame on display for the world to see. 
Again, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, these last two phrases are amazing. Before you were born, before God created the universe, he prepared, he planned, he foreordained good works for you to walk in. That's why he created you. That's why he saved you. What might those good works be? I don't know. Maybe an act of generosity, a kind word, a kind note to a friend this week, an act of service, an act of mercy, a prayer for a friend, an excellent report at the office that saves your company, a bunch of money. That's a good work that honors and glorifies God. Shoveling the neighbor's snow, making a sibling's bed, offering to do the dishes for your brother or sister. God prepared those good works in eternity past for you to walk in. Again, that's why he saved you. Not to make you feel good about yourself, but because he wants to receive glory in and through you. And by the way, when you are motivated by grace, walking in the power of the Spirit and producing good works, it does lead to joy and peace and a sense of fulfillment. But God saved you for good works. Martin Luther, one of my historical heroes, had an absolutely incredibly challenging work ethic. The guy worked all the time like an ox. In the last 23 years of his life, Luther married, fathered six children, intervened in a massive peasant's war, translated the Old Testament, preached a couple of thousand sermons, created a whole new approach to Christian worship, wrote catechisms, settled political squabbles, wrote scores of influential treatises, counseled hundreds of pastors, trained hundreds of pastors, taught at the university, oversaw a fledgling denomination, and composed hundreds of hymns we still sing today. This just scratches the surface on his output. Let me just give you an example of a typical week for him when it comes to his preaching schedule. Sunday, 5 a.m., Pauline Epistles, Sunday, 9 a.m., the Gospels, Sunday afternoon, the Catechism. He preached three times on Sunday, 5 a.m., 9 a.m., and then in the afternoon. Monday and Tuesday, he preached again on the Catechism. Wednesday, the Gospel of Matthew. Thursday and Friday, the Epistles. Saturday, the Gospel of John. He preached seven, eight, eight times every week while running a university and a denomination and training thousands of men for the ministry and raising six godly children and writing hymns and books. <laughs> Why did Luther work so hard? Was it because he was trying to earn his salvation? No. He worked hard because he was convinced in the core of his being that he was saved by grace through faith. And when he understood that, he thought, wow, I can't believe God loves me that much. As a result, I love him, and I want to serve him. People used to say to John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan, if you keep telling people and assuring them that God loves them and forgives them and freely justifies them, they're going to do whatever they want. 
And Bunyan said, oh no. If I assure them on a regular basis that God loves them and freely forgives them, they're going to do whatever he wants. That's the difference. Good works are never the grounds of our salvation, yet good works are the evidence that our faith is real, saving faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, for good works. Now imagine this one last scenario with me. A small airplane goes down in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and it crashes a thousand miles from the nearest coast. The plane goes down, but somehow it remains above water. It's slowly sinking. And there's three passengers in the plane. Michael Phelps, Olympic swimmer. Someone else who can hardly swim at all. And someone else who can't swim at all. And Michael Phelps says, hey, if you guys just follow me, it'll all be okay. Let's swim a thousand miles to the closest coast. So all three jump in the water. Michael Phelps takes off, slicing through the water. And the person who can't swim at all lasts about 30 seconds. They're flailing and they're splashing and they drowned and die. The next person who is a decent swimmer lasts about 30 minutes. He swims roughly two or three miles and then eventually he also drowns. But Michael Phelps, Olympic caliber swimmer, in 24 hours swims a staggering 50 miles. But he still has 950 miles to go and about 19 days of swimming. Eventually, he loses gas and drowns. No matter how hard he tries, he can't make it. And he's one of the world's best swimmers. He can't save himself. He can't swim far enough. No matter how righteous you are, you could be the most righteous person in the whole world who gives all your money away, read your Bible six hours a day, and fast three times a week. And still, it's not enough to save you. But there's good news. We are saved by grace through faith for good works. Let's pray together.